Nice Games Club is on break for the next few weeks. How come? So your nice hosts can put together a relaunch of the show, including a brand new website that will make it easier for listeners to browse and discover all the content from the entire history of the program. In the meantime, we picked out a few of our favorite episodes from the last year or so for listeners to revisit or maybe hear for the first time. This is episode 120, Developer-Publisher Relations with August Brown. This episode was first published on March 12th, 2019. August is a friend of the program and was an incredibly fun and immeasurably informative guest, giving us and our listeners a unique insight into one of the most misunderstood aspects of game development. Be nice and have a listen. So you know how this this begins, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) I guess I never think about it too hard. (laughs) Um, So... How how long have you been listening to our show for? Uh, if you don't mind me asking, maybe like six months. Hey, okay, there. Mm-hmm. Cool. I, I definitely wasn't there for the beginning. Ah, it's all good. Yeah, well, I think at the point perfect. people started talking about it a lot in the MSP Dev Slack. Yeah, yeah. Ah. yeah. Well, we're just excited because like a lot of times we'll have people on the show who are part of the community and we know them either as friends or colleagues or even you know a little bit or a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, I think we've interacted with you mostly. Because of you talking about the show. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and so, so it's kind of cool. It almost feels like, I mean, we're, you're here for other reasons, but it's yes. nice to have a listener <laughs> in the clubhouse with us. Yeah. So uh, speaking of, what are you doing here? Uh, is that a question for me? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I'm here to chat about like working with publishers and like finding publishers. Yes. Yeah, tell yes. us about uh, your background, where you work and, and, and why you're uh, uh, the person to talk to about this. Yeah. So uh, I work for Congregate. Uh, we do a lot of things, um, but I originally was hired to like work on their website stuff. It was a uh, flash game portal, right? Yeah. Uh, for a long time, and still is, um, and making achievements for there. And then six years ago or so, they started. Uh, we started um, publishing free to play mobile games, mm-hmm. and I jumped ship from the website at that point and started working on the publishing and production side of that. Ah. So I've been doing publishing um, and production for free to play mobile games for five years or so. Wow! And then um, maybe a year and a half or two years ago, we started dabbling into publishing like premium games. Mm-hmm. Um, and have been working on games on uh, GOG, Steam, etc., on PC, as well as um, all three major consoles. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, I think, three, four games, uh, like premium games, shipped today, and we just announced another one this week. Um, and we have a bunch coming out in 2019. And so that's what I've been focusing on almost entirely is just our premium publishing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, working with um, finding new games to sign and then just mostly just focus on uh, production work. And then also um, Congregate recently launched a another Steam competitor. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot now. It's yeah. nice that you can say that, right? Yeah. 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 It's not like the, who's going up against them this year. It's like right. it's actually there's more than one now. It's mm. yes. kind of nice. Well, it's kind of nice unless for, you're for, one of those. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Fair enough. That, yeah, so a lot of focus on there too is mm-hmm. working with cartridge and getting that off the. Yeah, and then uh, the games that that you're that you're publishing are not exclusive to cartridge, but that's not something that's off the table for future titles. Um, no, it's not off the table, and it's something we're actively talking about. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's whatever. In we're in a really weird position in that uh, a lot of publishers don't also own a platform. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, and so there are a lot of like give and take on like when we make a decision, are we doing it because it benefits us as a platform? Are we doing it because it benefits the game? And so far at any time we've seen, find ourselves on a crossroad of like, should we do this because it's like better for us as a platform that we're really trying to get off the ground or it's better for the developer as our publisher, we always err on the side of like, nope, we're taking it to Steam, even though like being exclusive on cartridge indefinitely would be great for us. Right. I mean... I'm not going to tell you that you'll make more money on cartridge shipping than on Steam. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. That would be a bull-faced lie. Uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah. Uh, anytime we have an opportunity to choose between like making the most money on the game, even though it might be to the detriment of cartridge. But uh, to answer your question, like exclusivity on cartridge is something, especially temporary exclusivity, oh, yeah, yeah. is something we're actively talking with. But 
uh, that's an informed decision that like the partner buys into there. We try not to do any strong arming. Right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, there's, you know, with the, the recent news of Metro Exodus being exclusive to Epic, uh, you know, the, it means it will sell less tight, less, less copies. And so there are different factors at play why that might be a good idea for that developer. And you must be having those conversations a lot. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and there's, um, I mean, obviously nothing is, public about like that exodus deal but yeah. i mean those Fortnite dollars go a long way yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you can you can guess as to what what the incentive was yeah, yeah. Uh, i would guess there are at least like seven or eight figures of incentive <laughs> yeah. uh, that's a lot of incentive yeah. uh, and i mean coming from a publisher that's something that you're like well the long tail of the game might exceed whatever figure that minimum guarantee would be but like that's a lot of money and so um, even in conversations on around that where we have cartridge and we want to build that up. But uh, as a publisher, we have to be looking at things like, should we be trying to take our games to Epic, even though that like yeah. directly contradicts some of our goals of cartridge. But if uh, like we would be negligent as a publisher, if we didn't have those conversations. Right, okay. right. And do the teams at the uh, for publishing in the store, do they work hand in hand? In the, the, like, or is it really separate teams to keep those? those motivations sort of like isolated uh well the benefit uh congregate in general is like super small okay um all told i don't know exactly how many but it's less than 100 people on congregate proper and then we have some uh game dev studios that we've acquired that do like free-to-play uh mobile games um and i think that total number including those studios is like 100 plus but like it's a pretty small company yeah well Um, just speaking to the impression that Congregate has in the marketplace. It seems like you're punching above your weight a little bit. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. So yeah, ultimately, it's you you, uh, you have these multiple goals, but they service each other. So uh, yeah, yeah. It seems like there could be conflict, but like it's all it's all part of one organization. Yeah. ultimately, and it's pretty easy. Like as long as um, <clears throat> the end goal is always like knowing the responsibility of the publisher and knowing that like. When someone hands you their game to publish, you're, that's a big responsibility you're taking on because yeah. if you do wrong, you like businesses go out of business. Like mm-hmm. people claim uh, bankruptcy and really awful stuff and like lose their livelihoods because publishers screw up. And yeah. that's a really severe responsibility. Yeah. I, want, um, I wanted to ask about that specifically because I feel like uh, a lot of game developers don't exactly know what a publisher does. They're like, oh, the people that gives me money to make a game, that's great. <laughs> Give me one publisher, please. <laughs> so I wanted to ask, like, um, specifically, like, what a publisher's role in in, uh, in in the developer's workflow and, like, you know, how, what, are, what is your role in, like, building up the game? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so it really depends by the publisher. Okay. Like, different publishers will have different strengths and different focuses and different things that they feel that they do well uh, and competently and different tools that they have available. Okay. Um, I mean, like on Congregate, we have uh, a fledgling platform cartridge where we can guarantee any game we publish gets some amount of featuring on cartridge itself. Um, And we have different partnerships that we've been able to build through our work with cartridge that we can extend to publishing. Um, And different publishers will have different things that they focus on. Sure. Um, I think the, what you described is not a small part of it. Uh, Like money is a big part of it. Um, (laughs) And it also really depends on what the developer wants Mm -hmm. Um, because Congregate as a publisher has a variety of services that we provide. Yeah. But we definitely have had devs come to us and like, not we're we just want money. Like (laughs) we can't finish the game without money. Mm. Um, We, want to like do all these shows and stuff ourselves and we don't really need marketing support. We just need uh, funds to finish the game. Okay. Um, and some uh, come to us and we're like, Hey, we're building a game, but we have no idea how to do marketing and we want help with that. Or we have no idea how to uh, like, I have sent an email to Nintendo and that's the extent I know about publishing on switch. Mm, okay. um, or I am a single dev and I know generally how these things go, but like, I don't have the time to like send emails to um, Nintendo deal with certification on the various consoles. Um, Publishers can do things like uh, help retain IP. Like if you want to make a uh, Nickelodeon game or something like publishers who might have had like 
dealings with Nick Lodeen in the past can help give you an inroad there. Ah. Um, I mean, they can start that conversation. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so it depends like what you're looking for. And then if you do have a game with IP, like talking to Nickelodeon in this example, um, that's a lot of work that your publisher can just do for you. And you can just like know what you need to deliver. So are are you able to like support all of those different kinds of things that developers are looking for? Or do you sure try? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's good. (laughs) But I mean, like I, um, so if somebody approaches you just looking for money, you're able to just provide them with money if if you want to work. with It depends. Um, like we, especially, um, for our mobile games, but this also extends into our premium games to an extent, um, are looking for a conversation for how like the final game will end up like we, especially my point of view, um, as a producer is extremely hands off. Um, a lot of producers I know at congregate and outside will try to at publishers, like really want to get in there and like be a part of the product. Yeah. Um, I have a very set understanding that I am, while I try to dabble in game development, I'm not a designer mm-hmm. and that uh, I can't own the vision. Like even if I say, oh, we should add this mechanic at the end of the day, it's the developer and the designers who are like implementing that mechanic. Yeah. And I can't be there overseeing and owning that vision. Sure. And it will be like bad <laughs> if we try to carry through on that. And yeah, that requires you to put a lot of trust in the developers you work with. Then, yeah. Right. Whereas I could see someone wanting to be a little hands-on saying like, oh, this is rough, but I can shape it. Yeah. Right? Like It's that, a trap. That, that, that requires a, a lot of confidence, <laughs> but not as much trust. Yeah. Right? And so I think that's a lot of what you look for, or what we look for, at least in a developer, is someone who both, like, we can get a lot of trust in their design sense and their mm-hmm. vision for the game, but also someone who is willing to have that conversation and, like, wanting feedback and wanting to just generally make the game better yeah rather than um some designers like always know best and those right uh conversations and relationships can get pretty strained if you're mm-hmm. like no the business like the landscape of the business clearly is pointing this other direction and we're trying to steer the ship and like we want you to own the vision but like it needs to go more in this direction mm-hmm. um and they're like no we're just right and yeah, then, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I wish I could say that they were right and it worked out great more often than not, but <laughs> that's not the case. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, like, uh, as a as a publisher, what what are you looking for from developers? What like makes you want to? I guess there was that trust aspect. Like, uh, it seems like uh, a developer, you know, is is open to feedback um, and such. Yeah, um, but like, what what other things are you looking for from a developer that would make you want to work with them? I think. This sounds kind of base, but like the <laughs> game is super like the most important thing is the game. Sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like there have been developers where we like have chatted and we're like, we love you as a studio. You guys are awesome. This game is not good or like it just doesn't fit what we're trying to do. Yeah. Um, and that happens a lot. And that's part of like we're finding a publisher and finding a developer um, that is really important is every developer, I think, has a brand. Uh Um, And every publisher has a brand. Uh, Mm -hmm. So if I go to um, congregate and like, hey, I have the goriest game anyone has ever made. (laughs) (laughs) And I could play it. I'm like, well, this game's really good. You should go talk to Devolver. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was going to say, that sounds perfect for Devolver. Yeah, exactly. Um, And so uh, another important thing beyond just like carrying on a brand is Devolver will know how to market that game way better. Like even if we decided like this game is too good to pass up, Mm -hmm. um, we wouldn't know how to market it like Devolver would. Sure. Like we would be doing whatever we could and Devolver would be like ripping fake limbs off of people on stage (laughs) or whatever Devolver does. Which works, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they are where they are, so it must work. Exactly. but yeah, it really depends on the game, making okay. sure like the game fits what the publisher's like overall business goals are. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and also that it's just a good game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that it's a game that is marketable. Um, yeah. And I think <clears throat> something that I look for in developers when we're trying to figure out who to work with is someone who doesn't necessarily have all the answers. Like there's a good, you need to have a good reason to be going to a publisher because um, I'm sure we'll get into this a bit later, but like it's not just free money. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> developer or publishers take your money. Yeah. Um, as part of their services. Yeah. And, and that's a promise. Yeah. <laughs> I guarantee it. 
<clears throat> and uh, there has to be a give and take. Like they have to earn that money, but like that's not just something you can say, oh, I get X thousand dollars now and it doesn't matter that I lose 20 to 50% of my revenue later. Like that's a lot of money, especially if your game takes yeah. off. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, uh, it's important as a publisher or it's not important to, for us to know like that a developer has all the answers, that yeah. they know exactly how to market the game and exactly like how to do these press feeds and everything, because otherwise, like, don't let me take your money. <laughs> um, but at the same time, it's important for a developer to know what they don't know. OK, uh, yeah. to, like to know their limitations. Yeah, um, because uh, if someone is coming at us and we're like, hey, we have a um, I'm not even going to throw a specific genre under the bus, but a genre <laughs> that hasn't seen like critical or like commercial success yeah. in a decade and a half. And they're like, oh, we're just going to like those fans are out there. We're going to yeah. like, well, are they? <laughs> uh, and right, you don't so, want you don't they don't need to come up with a uh, like a total marketing plan, but they should at least have a realistic understanding of the market. Yeah. And if they are like making a game that's super niche or Mm -hmm. like doesn't have, um, I mean, right now, uh, a good example from Congregate's portfolio uh, is Flotsam, which is a game we announced a while ago, which is like a um, survival sim city builder thing where it's like super colorful, but post-apocalyptic world where you're floating on the ocean and like Flotsam and like garbage is floating by and you're using that garbage to build, to build up uh, your town. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the reasons we liked that is one, it's just a wonderful game, but also the market is there for that game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like RimWorld and Factorio and a bunch of like other games that aren't like making millions and millions of dollars are all surviving in this very healthy ecosystem within that genre. And right. There's a business there uh, where if you have um, some more obscure genres, like it's just that business case is harder and it's... Um, concerning when a developer comes to us with a game that is super niche and like no this is the one that's going to break out yeah right uh, is it really yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean maybe but then that requires more of a risk yeah. and then you're going to maybe want to ask a little bit more of the developer before you sign that yeah 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 so uh what kinds of when when a developer comes to you do you, what kinds of things do you expect from them aside from like what things they don't know or do know like do they do they need a like prototype deliverables right? yeah do they yeah. need a prototype a do they need a design document or like what kinds of things if all they have is like a picture of an idea or something <laughs> you're like yeah sure let's do it uh yeah the answer to that um is it really depends a lot okay sure um so in some cases we um like to go back to what I was talking about a little earlier, we yeah. were talking to a developer and they're pitching us games that just don't work with where our business is at right now. Yeah. Um, but we've had developers come back to us after literally two or three years of constantly like pitching us stuff and like, hey, this game I think really fits. And this is like the art style we want to go with. And we don't have a prototype yet. And we're like, yes, let's go down this. We're not going to sign it at that point, probably. Like we almost always require at least a prototype. Okay. Um, but uh, in the case I'm thinking of, it was a very bare bones prototype. Sure. Um, and that game did well for us. Like, mm-hmm. uh, but that is super risky. Most of the games that we sign at concept where there isn't like something that we can really dig in and know that it's working. Um, a lot of the times that hasn't panned out. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this case, because we knew that developer so well and we really trusted them and their vision felt really strong, we signed it from basically just like a prototype you could build in an afternoon or yeah. like a couple days. Okay. Right. Right. Um, where for most games, we want at least a vertical slice. Sure. Uh, which is an understanding of how all the systems in the game, basically the whole game is done except for the content. Yeah. Like knowing how all the systems work within the game mm-hmm. and gain a good feel of what the game would be like in the end. Because even if someone has a complete design doc, the translation of that into a game, as you all know, <laughs> yeah. uh, a lot can get worked out in the details. Yeah. yeah totally. And depending on the type of game, getting to that point where it becomes where you can explain it to somebody in, insofar that you need it explained to you, it can take three months, it can take two years to get to that point, depending yep. on what, you know, uh, how, how you're going to build your game. Yep. And then besides that, just having a sense of expectations, I think is super important, uh, where if a developer comes to us and they're like, this is a game and we want to it to be successful, uh, <laughs> which has definitely happened. Like, yep. well, I need to know what success means for you. Right. Like, uh, knowing the team, knowing your business um, restraints, knowing like we need to ship this by Q4 2019 because otherwise we go out of business. Right. Um, 
that's super important because uh, depending on, and that's something that we vet heavily um, before signing a game, because if you will go out of business uh, on a certain day, even if we like give some funds in the meantime, uh, if the game is delayed a month, what happens then? Right. Then we're like on the hook to keep your business, your company alive month to month for as long as it takes, or we don't pay you and your company goes under and we like no game gets shipped. Right, right. Um, and so knowing the financial situation of the developer is incredibly important and knowing what your expectations are incredibly mm-hmm. important. Because if um, someone comes to us and they're like, we want to be like, we are going to unseat Hearthstone. Like, <laughs> Developers have said that. Like, yeah. our goal oh. is to be the best card game and to like sink Hearthstone. Like, great. I'm sure some publisher would be super into that, but <laughs> we're yeah. way more risk adverse than that. Right. Yeah. So, how do you like? I think one of the things um, I've done pitching in various fields, and it, it seems to be different in each industry. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, like, the advice you get is like, you need to have utter confidence in your thing, you need to believe it will unseat the leader. And other times, you, that, like that, just feels like uh, naivete. Um, like, how, how do you deal with a developer who comes in and doesn't know how to calibrate their own pitch? Right, it's really tough because beyond, like, from industry, I think that really depends on the publisher. Mm-hmm. Like, if I'm going to EA, they probably aren't looking at anything that isn't. Oh yeah, looking to unseat whatever is the <laughs> yeah. top dog in that space. Yeah, but when you get that person who comes in and they have, they like, I, I, I need to have the confidence. Is that does that just turn you off or do, you, or do you have the ability to talk them down and actually get the real information from them? I mean, it really depends. Sometimes you talk them down. They're like, no, we're unseating Hearthstone. Oh, okay. So um, it's, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's not confidence. They yeah. just are really confident that their really super good card game is going to unseat yeah. the best card game that's been released in the last 20 mm-hmm. years. Right. <laughs> and then how do you handle the opposite where someone comes in and says, well, it's just my little indie thing. Like, I, I don't know. Like, how do you handle that imposter syndrome that a lot of people have where they're like, I can't. I, I'm not going to promise it's going to be better than X or Y or make you any money, but right. it's great. Here's the demo and you like the demo. How do you deal with someone who you don't feel has enough confidence to like, does that make it harder to work with someone? Uh, it definitely makes it harder than if someone, I guess, has the Goldilocks amount of confidence. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, I think that's a lot easier to deal with than someone who is either overconfident or um, like ignorance is pretty easy to deal with if someone is just like, I make games. I think they're pretty good, but I don't know the business side of it. And that's why I'm coming to you. Um, But I've done my due diligence to try to understand that. I think that's like kind of the ideal. Mm -hmm. Um, But if someone comes and is obviously just like blowharding and doesn't know what they're talking about, then that's indicative of an attitude that would make a long-term relationship difficult. Sure. Because then nothing makes a publishing relationship like harder than the people who are involved in that like disagreeing in like not healthy ways Mm -hmm. um and if they're expecting to unseat hearthstone and it wasn't just them blowing smoke trying to find a publisher but then when we don't unseat hearthstone they're mad at us like (laughs) um that's really tough yeah yeah um and the worst thing is like shipping a game and like not every game does well Mm -hmm. and it's a super competitive field that is feels like it's actively getting worse in one way i mean as far as competitiveness and uh, just the number of games that are coming out. Yeah. Um, and so having just general, this goes back to expectations of like, hey, I would like to be able to fund my next project on this. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something like, yep, we can shoot for that. That's a good goal. Um, if someone's like, I need to make $200 million in the next quarter right. on this game after it chips. There's some loan sharks after me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, then that's just a lot tougher, not only because that goal is so much higher, but then like, how do you, when things don't go, relationships are super easy to manage when things go right. Yeah. When things like you launch and like, it doesn't go well and you're like, okay, what's the next step? How do we get this in front of press? How do we get like marketing on a game that's already launched, which is super hard because no one cares about games that are already launched right. for the most part. Um, how do we write this boat as much as we can and like make as much money out of this or whatever our goals are? Mm-hmm. Um, if there is no trust between uh, the developer and the publisher because expectations weren't aligned before launch, um, then 
that ship is not getting righted. Like right. that ship is just sunk at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there have been cases where there's a lot of trust between us as a publisher and the developer. And we're like, no, we need to do a lot of work. We need to go back to the drawing board and try this again. Um, where it's turned out, like where that ship was right. And that's really tough. And if expectations weren't aligned from the original standpoint on what the developer is going to deliver as far as the quality of game or in the case of free-to-play games like the metrics, like how much people are staying around in the game and whatnot. And then if the publisher isn't delivering what they promised as far as like marketability or whatnot, um, then you can easily sit down and say like, this person hasn't hit like, or this uh, group hasn't hit those expectations and this is what we're going to do to write that. Um, but if everyone is just like angry at each other, those conversations are never going to be had. Right. Yeah. And I think it comes down to expectation setting, like from day one. Yeah. It's, it, it, I like that we named this topic developer publisher relations, because it, it sounds like this is just largely a relationship. You both, the developer and the publisher need that to understand. 95% of my job. Yeah. Is <laughs> managing relationships. Yeah. Both the developer and the publisher need to have an understanding of what it is they're looking for from this relationship and what it is they can provide for one another and what yep. they want to provide for one another. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's it, it, so necessary in order for this to work. Um, and I'm glad that like you're emphasizing that point because that, <laughs> that's huge. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. I want to hit on something you said a little earlier where you just like not all games are successful, right? And so, and it's a hit-driven business, right? And even if your goals are modest, that isn't a guarantee you'll meet them. Um, can you share a little bit about like what, you know, how many, like how many of the uh, hits uh, uh, finance the not hits, you know, what that ratio might be? Uh, yeah, I'm trying to figure out how to word that in a... Um, mm-hmm. uh, like like I'm, we, I'm yeah. not interested in like, you know, company numbers or secrets. Yeah. It's more about like when I, when I approach a publisher and I, you know, I have the confidence I think it will do as well. It'll meet the goals I set for it, whatever they are. And the publisher maybe believe me or they don't or like we, we make that relationship happen. Like then those, what, uh, managing those expectations, like, it's it's still possible that we'll fail, yeah. and and then uh, you know, but but that won't necessarily destroy the relationship with the developer or with the publisher. I think a lot of people feel like if their game doesn't do well, they're sunk, mm. right? And but it happens so often, yeah, right. And it really depends on like why your game doesn't do well. Mm-hmm. Um, there, I mean, sometimes uh, I think a lot of the hit driven aspect of the business is just luck, yeah, like. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and we've seen this with our titles for sure. Um, like with one of our titles when uh before it was launched, um, like we were getting decent pickup, like decent hits on our webpage, decent uh Steam wish list, etc. And then Rock Paper Shotgun wrote an article. I'm like, well, there's a bump. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the trend line for the wish list just like was a little higher after mm-hmm. that because however the heck the Steam algorithm works, like that influx of organic traffic into our Steam page, like just gave us a lot more wish list into the long tail. Mm-hmm. Um, and we put ourselves in a position like going to a show where Rock Paper Shotgun was there and they happened to see the booth. And so you can put yourself in a position to get lucky. But at the end of the day, you still need to get lucky. Yeah. And some games just don't get lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you can point at um, a lot of games that just like would have been successful had they not. Right, right. Like had they been given that chance. Um, and a lot of games that like, I don't know how they got that burst of luck because it's a good game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah. there are just so many good games being made right now. That. Right. That almost, I mean, to be cynical, it's like it has so little to do with the success. The, being a good game is like minimum yeah. requirement. Yeah. It, it, that every, everything has to be very good. That is just the right. fee to entry. <laughs> and then once you get there, it's just a crapshoot. Yeah. So um, how, does that, uh, I mean, do you just have to be sort of um, uh, nihilistic about it? You'd be like, well, we'll just get the games we think are good and, and might do well, but you not, you really can't know, right? Yeah. Or, or do think, you just try to really get the little data you have? to inform your decisions about what you, what you sign. Yeah, I, it's definitely both. I mean, I don't think any publisher goes into it being like, we are going to have a hundred percent hits. Yeah. I mean, when you get to a certain point, I think you can expect just by the name of your publisher caring. Like if I'm devolver, I would be disappointed with any game that isn't a modest hit Sure. because by the weight of just 
being that publisher, you're going to get a certain amount of coverage no matter what you do. Right. They're, and to they're take a, a curatorial brand and yep. like people buy Devolver games right? yeah. in the way they don't necessarily for other publishers. And to take it uh, to kind of the most extreme version of that, like Nintendo could just deliver a crap <laughs> game and people would cover it and buy it. Because it's happened. Of, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hypothetically. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, but for any publisher who isn't Nintendo or, um, Devolver or anyone, like no one expects a hundred percent hit rate. Um, and we go into it knowing that, uh, to answer your question, like it really depends on the company's business. Uh, I would guess like from publisher to publisher, they would be happy with somewhere around like a one in three hit rate. Okay. Uh, because when you do hit, that finances a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, That's actually but, higher than I might have guessed. Maybe I've been beaten down so yeah. off frequently. <laughs> like, in my mind, that's somewhere between, like, a 25% and 33%. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, okay, there. so not not so... Once you are once you are able to have that relationship with the publisher, the, there's still that fear. There's still a majority are not going to sort of uh, get, reach everyone's dreams. But, like, yeah. it's not bad. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it comes down to, exa- like, why the game failed mm-hmm. um maybe we're like we knew this was a super risky thing um like it's just this super crazy off the wall idea that yeah. we really want to work and shouldn't be too surprised when it doesn't uh there have been a number of devs that we've worked with on subsequent games where the first game didn't hit like where the first game was kind of uh easy to call a failure by almost right. any metric <laughs> and we continue to work with them or at least like continue to find opportunities to work with them even if those opportunities haven't presented themselves yet. Sure, sure. Um, Do you find there, a benefit to having a, a even a, a failure or two with that relationship? Does then the one that hit, does that actually help the long tail of those other products? Is there a benefit to having that library other than just the relationship that you're building with the developer? I think a lot of it is the relationship. Yeah. Like a lot of people don't care about old games yeah. and like occasionally you will hear about a resurgence on like a random old title, but I think that is rare yeah. and you couldn't possibly count on that. It's such a, no one has, it's just psychology. There's not really yeah. a reason yeah, exactly. for it. It's amazing, but the whole business revolves around it. Yep. And even beyond working with that given publisher, there have been a lot of developers that we worked with where, um, just expectations weren't aligned and not in a malicious way. It's just, it turned out like they wanted different things than we like were wanting to provide or vice versa. Mm-hmm. And we like try to set up uh, opportunities for them to find other publishers or uh, investors or whatever else. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, as long as we can build a healthy relationship, that doesn't necessarily mean that the only way that relationship will thrive is through a publishing relationship. There are other uh, opportunities that present themselves later. So, uh, I like at the end of the day, regardless of um, anything else, just setting expectations and doing other due diligence to prevent bridge burning is like ninety yeah. percent of what we try to focus on. Right, right. Cool. Regardless, I mean, it's a kind of crappy industry if you're trying to consistently make money. Yeah, uh, yeah. and I don't think anyone involved on either side, um, like in my expectations, most developers understand that, and yeah. most publishers definitely understand that because that's why every publisher has a portfolio. That's the whole approach of the portfolio. Mm-hmm. Uh, based business is that you count on being able for your hits to cover your losses. Yeah. yeah. Um, and developers don't have that benefit because unless you're releasing like 12 games a year or yeah. something. <laughs> I know we all have like folders full of ideas, not many <laughs> hundreds of games, but yeah. it's not, What's it there not the same thing. That um, uh, tiny studio sock pop or something. I think their name is, we'll link it in the show notes, but they've been like, they have a Patreon and they've been releasing like a very tiny prototype game once a month or something. Yeah, they're wonderful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the things you talked about was about like uh, that the relationship isn't always a publishing relationship that you're, you know, help, you know, f- uh, shepherd them on to success elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Or, or perhaps there's, you know, just emails back and forth with advice, I guess. Like um, how important is it for you to have overhead in your activities that is not really about the success of the company? It's more about just maintaining sort of like a good citizenship in the industry. I mean, that's like the, I would say, I don't know what percentage I would apply to it, but a large percentage of what our business development team does in general is just foster relationships um, to keep those coals hot. So Hmm. that in the event that we want to like get into a relationship, like a more formal business relationship, that, that opportunity is there. 
Um, we there are a lot like speaking of um, GDC and whatnot. There are a lot of uh, meetings we take every year that we haven't signed with this team. Uh, we haven't like gotten into serious conversations about signing, but we meet with them for half an hour at least every year just for that opportunity right. uh, to possibly present itself at some point because we know they're a good developer. We'd like to work with them. We're just waiting for the right opportunity. Yeah, sure. yeah. That's cool. I don't know that everyone does that. I guess maybe they do. A lot of publishers do yeah. that, but like it's cool that you're able to, you, you want to you wanna keep a good relationship with people even if you're not necessarily um in the right place at this right time yeah. you're waiting for the right moment to, mm -hmm. and beyond that it's just uh smart business for us because right. um developers talk to each other yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if a publisher is a jerk uh that'll get around and then we won't have anyone to work with yeah right. um and so that's especially when we are talking about games that aren't hit something that um from a more cynical business standpoint like it's important for us to nurture that relationship and make sure everyone's expectations are aligned uh because if someone is like congregate screwed up my baby and yeah. like this is worse and they're a bunch of jerks oh. um that sucks and also they're gonna talk to friends who will then not like sign their games with us right, right. um and so it's for our own like very uh selfish benefit yeah, to yeah. Try to, like <laughs> do i mean beyond like the ethical obligations of the publisher mm -hmm. like it's for our own benefit to like right. try to be as good to our developers as possible. Yeah. Sometimes being nice is the selfish thing, yes. right? <laughs> Ultimately. <laughs> Although I mean, it must be nice to, it must feel nice to go to work and be able to do it that way. Yeah. Right. For sure. Like, and, and knowing that it's, you know, you're not wasting time or money that it does pay off, but like it, it would be utterly stressful if you were like, you know, uh, auditing every minute of your time to make sure it fed into this month's, you know, uh, bottom line or whatever, it would be stressful all around, I imagine. Yeah, there's so much of it that you can't quantify. Yeah. Like different initiatives we do where uh, we look to get people at shows like sponsoring game jams and stuff like that. Like mm -hmm. you can't possibly quantify <laughs> what a few thousand dollars going into a game jam is going to give you, but you can get the general understanding that building um, like trust and like getting your name out there and getting people recognize that you're someone who helped like fosters this industry is probably a good thing at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of what we do and like the types of meetings we take and whatnot, like is trying to build into that, even if we can't like build that to a specific source of income. Right. Right. Cool. Um, I wanted to know you, you brought up earlier about like uh, each publisher has their own branding and each developer has their own branding and such. How do you determine how does how both in like a, as a developer and as a publisher, how do you determine whether or not your brands match? Yeah, I think the easiest thing to do as a developer is to just look at their library of games. Sure. Like if I look at Devolver, I can see there's a very I mean, obviously, uh, games like Minute and whatnot um, pull outside of their super hardcore, like gory yeah. action game. Yeah. Um, but also like that tells you that they're looking for weird creative games too. Yeah. Um, and if I look at Annapurna or something like mm -hmm. I know that if I have a super artsy fartsy like <laughs> <laughs> game that it could probably find a home there. Yeah. Um, and so I think the portfolios, especially for established publishers really speak for themselves. Sure. Um, if a publisher like there are, it feels like every other week there's a new publisher coming along, <laughs> um, which is great. I think the more com competition in general is better for everyone. And um, some publishers like don't, especially these huge, huge publishers are expecting a certain revenue share mm -hmm. um, because they kind of provide the whole list of everything you would want in a publisher. And some publishers might just do media relations or one very specific thing you don't want to do and they'll take like 10% or 5% or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and so you, with more of these small publishers coming out, you might be able to just get exactly what you need. Um, and uh, But the other part of that is you might not know what they want because they don't have that library to look at. And at that point, right. uh, I think it's just asking them like, does my game fit? And if not, like, what are you looking for? Right. Okay. And if they can't give you an answer to what their portfolio goals are, then maybe don't work with that publisher. Right, right. That must be kind of difficult for like a brand new publisher and a brand new developer working together because they're going to influence each other, right? Oh, yeah. for sure. If I'm starting a, 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 publish, a publisher, 
and I kind of have a general idea what I want. And then I, uh, you know, I, I can't get a lot of meetings because I'm not big. I meet with a bunch of developers and I'm like, oh, that looks good. That looks good. That looks good. And they'll work with me. I guess that's my portfolio. Yeah. And then you lean into it perhaps, but that that's difficult, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's pretty easy to say that's what happened with Congregate, especially yeah. in our mobile publishing. I did want to ask like what you feel your brand is in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. So our brand, I don't know. It's, I know I just said that your publisher should be excited <laughs> to this <podcast. laughs> Um, I trapped you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think I trapped myself. <laughs> um, but we're really looking for from the more cynical like business side, mm-hmm. just like genre proving games. Yeah. Um, even though we try to get a little weirder than that every once in a while, like lowercase I indie, I think is what we're really looking for and what sure. we're really trying to foster. And like that bleeds into the overall company a lot, mm-hmm. like beyond um like with cartridge, that is really our focus is like smaller to medium indies where there's a lot of competition for these like huge indies mm-hmm. and sure. AAA, yeah. uh, like between Epic and Steam and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so like trying to find somewhere um, around itch, uh, but more like money focused is kind of what yeah. we're trying to focus on in cartridge. And that definitely bleeds over into our publishing mm-hmm. thing is these small to medium like indie teams. Yeah. Well, like um, you said, like uh, uh, a proven genres, the kind of a little more risk averse than other publishers. But as a, as a consumer, then what that tells me is like, this is a reliable publisher that whatever they'll give me, like it, I don't have, I don't have the customer need to take a huge risk on it. I know it's going to be pretty good. Um, and I think that's, that's, I think that's interesting that like to build a brand around that. Yep. Yeah. It's hard to um, like put into solid words because yeah. it's like, it's ephemeral in a yeah. way, yeah. Like the indie aesthetic, you know. <laughs> you know like pixels, colors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It has all of those things. Every one of our games. <laughs> yeah. How much does the history of Congregate, because it's a, it's a, I mean, it, it has a reputation going back forever. Yeah. Um, kind of as the itch of Flash games, right? In a sense that like you just, have, you know, a lot of stuff on there, um, a wide variety. Like how much of that informs the direction now and how difficult is that to communicate to both developers you want to work with and customers who you want, you know, buying your products and browsing your store? Yeah, for sure. Um, for developers that we want to work with, it definitely influences us a mm-hmm. lot um, because a lot of the people we end up working with are people who made Flash games. Yeah. Like we just know that community really well. And that community knows us and knows that um, we've been really developer focused and like rev getting revenue to developers focused mm-hmm. okay. since like we started like yeah. congregate as a uh flash platform like there is this like early to mid aughts period where the flash game industry was just this wild west where sites would take uh flash files and just upload them themselves to their website and yeah. get all that ad revenue mm. And Congregate and Armor Games and a few other of these sites were the first ones to say, no, we're going to share ad revenue with developers. And that was new at the time, even though that sounds kind of stupid, like yeah. obvious <laughs> at this point. Yeah. Uh, well, that, it was at a time when it, they were saying, oh, this is, you can actually monetize this. And yeah. I think a lot of the developers in those of those early games didn't think they could. Yeah. And so and it took companies like that. A lot that, of them so. just didn't know. Like, I hate painting in two broadest strokes, but like a lot of those developers were literally children. Yeah. Um, who didn't have any sense of like this as a business yeah. where they just wanted to make games. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that has really informed uh, us growing into a like secondary platform holder with Cartridge and a publisher with like, um, I mean, one of our best published games to date is Super Fancy Pants Adventures, wow. which was a Flash game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I remember that game. I played it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, And so working with developers and even if we don't work with those developers specifically, um, like uh, Synapse who made uh, Tyrant and Animation Throwdown and a few other like big games for us, like were just a random, not a random, a developer on Congregate (laughs) before we worked with them in a publishing relationship and then went on to acquire them. Right. So so one of the things you look for, at least helps along, is people who are either from that culture or have the same spirit. And a lot of it is like devs talking to devs, even if like uh, someone isn't a flash game dev, they probably know a flash game dev. Yeah. Uh, if they're in this indie space. Mm-hmm. And so, well, all listeners, you all know a, a flash game dev. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it me, it me. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I've, been, I've been doing Flash development for the longest time, but I never published any of my stuff on those portals. I, I kind of just missed that boat entirely. And I feel like I really missed it because the more I learn about it, the more I'm like, what a, what a golden age that was. Yeah. You know, uh, this is maybe a cheap plug, but um, the Flash game, the whole history of the Flash game industry is super interesting. Yeah. And it was either last year or the year before one of my coworkers, John Cooney, um, gave a talk called the Flash Game Postmortem. I was oh, at yeah. that. Which is, if you want to know just like the brief, like uh, quick and dirty history of Flash games, like yeah. that's a, I'm pretty sure it's on the their YouTube anyways yeah. for uh, GDC. Yeah, and if you can't find it, I think I summarized it in one of our GDC episodes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I definitely went to that talk. <laughs> we'll, we'll find it and put it in the show notes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, I bet, yeah, I bet it's on the whole thing's on YouTube. Yeah. I feel yeah, like it would I'm be. I'm pretty yeah. sure. Um, but then to get to the other half of that question, which was um, our like the consumer part of it, mm-hmm. um, that's a really frustrating. Oh, thing I bet <laughs> because it feels like uh, the consumer um, image of Congregate lags perfectly about five years behind. <laughs> uh, where for we had been publishing uh, mobile games for like three or four years, and every time anyone mentioned Congregate, it's like you know the Flash game portal. Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> That's cool. And now we're launching cartridge and doing premium publishing. And now just barely people are like, you know, congregate the mobile publisher. (laughs) (laughs) So like 2024, I feel pretty good. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Where we'll be there. Is that something when you deal with developers, you have to sort of assure them that like, you know, this is, this is what we really are now. Yeah. I feel like some developers are surprised that like we even publish games at all. Not yeah. like occasionally I talk to a developer and they'll only know us as a portal. Yeah. Um, but I think at this point, most developers know us as a publisher, at least ones that I talk to. That's a pretty selective group. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but for the most part, I think that's catching up just through word of mouth and initiatives that we have around like uh, sponsorships and whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything else that you want to talk about that we didn't ask you about we talked a little bit about like the act do you want to talk about like pitching yeah, yeah sure. Like, sure. Uh, maybe tell us things that you wish developers know that none of them know <laughs> right yeah. <laughs> talking about pitching specifically is just knowing um what you want out of your game mm-hmm. and what you want uh what you are providing uh, like this is the experience of the team. This is uh, like how much it costs for us to like survive per month. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is what we want to get out of the game in the final states. And yeah. then this is everything about the game. Uh, and usually having that be in a fairly concise like five to 15 page like deck or something is super helpful. Um, the we see a lot is like someone just comes up and like shoves a phone in your face like isn't this game great yeah oh. well, uh especially when you like have a booth at gdc or something else that happens a lot yeah and like sure. god that game does look awesome but i have no idea who you are Let's, right like there's no actionable information yeah. you can do yeah yeah especially knowing like what they want because um the sooner we know what a developer wants the sooner we know like either this isn't going to work for us or like we should continue this conversation and just like with any other aspect of publishing that pitching stage is largely built on mutual respect. Yeah. And it is disrespectful as a publisher to be like, yeah, we're playing your game or we're checking it out. And like, there's a 0% chance we're going to sign it, but we're going to like lead you to believe we might. Right. Um, uh. And some of that might be just us not having enough information mm-hmm. as a publisher uh, from the pitch. Like, Oh, your burn rate is $200,000 a month. And you're like gonna need money or go out of business. Yeah. I'm like, well, that's a deal breaker. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and knowing that information sooner will let uh, developers make more informed decisions on whether or not like this is a good fit for them. Yeah. I know I can speak to like a lot of times my attitude is comes from sort of the indie artist attitude, which is like no one's paying me anything, so I'll take anything, <laughs> right? <laughs> but like you don't want to hear that from people, right? Right. I, I think that's something that, especially at Congregate, we talk about a lot mm-hmm. and is a serious problem, especially in indie games, mm-hmm. is that there's this complete undervalue of developers' time and yeah. their uh, skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's something like on uh, con- on Cartridge, uh, we have a pay what you want model like itch. 
Um, and when we launched, we set the minimum threshold to $3. Yeah. Like you can't possibly charge less than $3 for your game. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of developers push back and like, I want to charge $1 for my game. I'm like, why? <laughs> your game is worth at least three dollars <laughs> um and it's definitely like both sides are pushing on this like the consumer aspect of uh the race for the bottom like well if i can get a game for one dollar why aren't all games one yeah. dollar but also that feeds into the developer psyche of like i can't be competitive unless i charge one dollar and i think um that's such a strong, like we, on the show, we've talked yeah. about it dozens of times. Yeah. Like yeah. your indie game is worth $20. Like, you know, it's worth, it's, it's a steal at twice that price. Yeah. And, but still it, it, we paired it and I still will sit and think like, that should be a couple of dollars less or no one's going to buy it. Like <laughs> yeah. I can't, you cannot help but feel that it's, it's so strong. So having a publisher, like be able to be the one to tell you with authority is really valuable. I imagine. Yeah. And I mean, there are cases where you're like, there are, I think, when you look at the economics of it, some sweet spots of this game is worth $20, but it will do a lot better at 15 or yeah, 10 Yeah, yeah. Um, and just having a basic understanding on how the economics of price elasticity works. Um, and especially like for different um, types of games and different spaces of uh, games like free-to-play versus premium, mm -hmm. um, there will be a lot of different specifics at work but the general um idea that like you will make more money charging more money for your game to a point like still exists yeah, yeah. um but also like there is a threshold of which that isn't true right, right and i think just the um prevailing assumption by most indie devs is setting that number way too low mm -hmm. and so working with developers a lot of it is saying like you need to value your work a little more uh, and I think that's something we try to do even outside of publishing relationships, just like these we yearly or like um, meetings or just talking to people at GDC parties or wherever on getting an idea of what they want to do. And we're like, hey, we're not your publisher, but you should consider charging $15 for that game. Yeah, yeah. Um, is something that we try to actively do. Mm -hmm. um, and that's tough because um, advice is cheap. And yeah. we want to be respective of the or respectful of the fact that um, it kind of sucks as someone comes to you for a publishing relationship and uh, you've tried to skirt around that by just giving bad advice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and like advice you give carries. So if you give bad advice, that reflects bad. Yeah. Early yeah. On you. Uh, but things like you should charge a reasonable amount for your game, I feel like generally is pretty safe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The threshold is normally higher than you are when you think it is. Yes. Well, you're talking about, like about pitching, like yeah. um, when you um, how how is the mechanics of a pitch? Do you do you you want do you accept emails? Do you set up meetings? Do yeah. you Skype calls? Like I think that's one of the things a lot of uh, indie developers have trouble with is like literally what is my first step? Right. Right. Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Uh, for Congregate specifically, um, it really depends on where we're at, but um, like, just look at the website. Mm -hmm. uh, that's usually a pretty good thing. Like, how do I submit a game? Yeah. Uh, most publishers will have that on their website. Usually it's an email address or a form or something. Um, and then uh, oftentimes they'll tell you, like, what specifically you should include in that pitch. Um, but I think emails, especially, it makes a really big difference. And I wish this wasn't true, but I think this is unfortunately true. It's like, having a referral from someone makes a big difference. Sure. Um, like I, we look through every single uh, and respond to, or try to respond to every single um, submission we get for publishing. But if someone comes to me and like, Hey, know me, your friend. Yeah. <laughs> I have this other friend who like has this game um, that definitely gets bumped up. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. For sure. That like it's who, you know, can be really frustrating, but there's a reason for it. Yeah. It, it, it's networks of trust. Yep. For sure. Um, and then, uh, definitely things like GDC and in-person pitches, yeah. uh, happen a lot. Um, and just know like at things like GDC, everyone is super busy yeah. and they might not be able to give you a full hour with their VP of whatever, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. but, uh, they might be like, they have a booth or something and that you can just show up to the booth and talk to a marketing person and they might be able to like, Oh no, this game is awesome. We're going to like put it up the chain. Right, right. Um, and just getting any amount of FaceTime I think is valuable, but knowing mm -hmm. that like 
at events um, like that or um, Gamescom or things like that. Like right. everyone is super busy and calendars fill up. Yeah. Like my GDC calendar is all but full right now. Right, right. Oh, yeah. So you don't want to shove your the, your phone in someone's face at the booth. But like if you introduce and have a conversation, then when you send that email next week, that can be the referral. Yeah. Like I talked to this person at the booth and maybe it's not the strongest referral, but at least can jog someone's memory. Yeah. Right? And I mean, if the publisher is at all decent, they will actually. Um, something we run into specifically at our GDC booth a lot is um, we get someone who pitches. Oftentimes it's not games specifically, but like services or whatnot. Yeah. Sure. Uh, and they're like, hey, we want to like pitch you this service. And we're like, I'm not the guy to talk to, but um here, take this card, email this address, and it's usually just a general like BD at Congregate or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and everyone's like, nope, I need a real card. Like, <laughs> no one's going to check that. Uh, at Congregate, we check those lists. Right, uh, right. But like, that's a thing that we um, actively fight with. And for a good reason is like a lot of companies just don't check those lists. Sure. It's yeah. like, this is my get out of jail free card to make you go away. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and so getting a contact for a real person in general, like at Congregate, we do check those, but I think it's the best practice to get, without being a jerk, like try to get a real person's email address. Yeah, right, right. Um, and then try to get like some kind of actionable follow-up of like, I'll send you an email in two weeks after mm -hmm. like your post-conference stuff has died down or like yeah. just get something penned down to know like what the expectation is from both sides. Right, right. Is that something, is that like an impression you have to, uh, reinforce with with that because I know like just I'm not going to name the publisher but I was at a GDC showing off a game and a publisher approached me uh -huh. and said this is perfect here's my card get in touch like we have games just like this we know that and I, we talked for like 20 minutes and I sent a follow-up email I got back I never heard back again uh -huh. and I was like I guess that's fine like I you know it didn't cost me any effort but like what happened there? It also and, stinks. Yeah, and so so I'm not looking to like you know uh, you know malign that experience exactly more about the idea of like it's still a total mystery how anyone gets anyone's attention, right? And then you feel like, oh, this is going well. Is it? Like, and so, it, it, but it's the, what you're laying out really clear, I think our listeners will learn a lot about how Congregate works, and that's important. But do you have to make sure to get that information out? Like, this is how we work. This is how we operate. Please trust us. Yeah, I guess so. And I think at the end of the day, like, <clears throat> if someone gives you their card and says, reach out to me, that gives you a fair amount of license to be persistent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if that's something you want to do. But sure. I mean, on the flip side of that, I've had that exact interaction with developers where I've seen a game that I'm like, oh, this is awesome. I'd yeah. love to publish it. And they're like, cool, send me an email. And then nothing. Uh. Uh, so it definitely works both ways. Yeah. And it's like human, human, you know, uh, uh, fallibility ultimately, yeah. right? There's no malice because that would be a weird trick to play on someone. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Spend 20 minutes just like, yeah. oh, I sure got that random indie dev. Right. right. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's like having like systems <laughs> yeah. that you can, you know, so you, you can have, it's like keeping a good calendar or whatever, staying yeah. organized. It just helps all that stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think being persistent as long as like you're not sending an email every other day yeah, or something. Yeah. And also like just cutting to the chase at some point and like, hey, like, are you actually interested in publishing this? Right. Uh, because there are. There have been games where we try to very hard uh, not to burn any bridges. Yeah. If someone comes to a, us with like Gore Simulator 4000, uh, we're like, this isn't exactly what we're looking for. <laughs> we have no interest in ever working on Gore Simulator 3 4000, right. but like, let us know what you work on in the future. Yeah. Um, some devs have, uh, and this is a failure on our point, like come to us with like, oh, okay, what about Gore Simulator 5000? Like, well, <laughs> I guess I could have been a little more clear there yeah, on exactly yeah. like why we weren't interested. In right, this. right. Um, I love that you keep, you, that's the example you use is like, you have this idea of what Congregate isn't, which is as important as what it is. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's, that's good. I like that. Yeah. And that'll be true for like any publisher. Mm -hmm. um, and there's just this fine balance of um, getting concrete feedback from a publisher one way or the other while everyone is trying to actively not burn bridges. Yeah. Uh, which is hard sometimes. Like sometimes someone pitches us a game and like, that's not what we're looking for. And they say, what about it isn't what you're looking for? I'm like, well, the graphics are bad. <laughs> uh, and that conversation is just really hard to have. Yeah. Uh, especially like, that oftentimes it feels like every time that person is their lead artist. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, 
the art is not competitive in this business space. Right. Um, right. And oftentimes like people, like the further you chase that down and like want a clear answer and like what we can do, like you're risking like feelings being hurt, mm -hmm. which sounds silly, but isn't because so much of the, like, like so much of the business is just managing relationships. Yeah. Um, but on the flip side of that, if you're not concrete enough on like, nope, this art just needs to be better, then people will continue pitching like the same game or like games with the exact same art and yeah. you like are wasting their time because you're not going to sign those games. Right, right. That's interesting because you right at the top, you talked about like you, you really want the developer to, to own the vision and you kind of want the idea whole. Uh, you don't want to go in and say this, this would be great, except change this third of it. Yep. So when you have a, a, a game that comes in and the art isn't great. Like, is, are you, do you, uh, err on the side of like, this isn't for us because of that? Or do you say like, this isn't for us. Can you talk about like, would that be something you would feel you have the capacity to update? Like, is that a conversation starter or is it something where you have to, you have to just be like, you know, it's not the way we work necessarily. For you, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's tough because, um, just setting those expectations, you have to be very exact, right? Like. We love the systems of the game. We love your approach to marketing so far. The graphics, we feel like just wouldn't lean towards what we're trying to build and probably won't be successful in this marketplace. Um, what you don't want to do is them saying like, okay, cool. Three months later, here, we completely redid all of our art. Sign <laughs> your game now, please. Yeah. Oh, right. Like that's the one thing holding them back, they <laughs> yep. think, right? And that yeah. has happened. Yeah. Uh, oh. Varying parts of that are we're like, nope, we're looking for like these systems to be different. And then they come back and like, we changed the systems. Can we sign with you now? We're like, <laughs> oh, no, it doesn't work that way. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, so just being very specific of like, hey, we don't think the art is working. We can't sign the game. Even if you redid the art, these things are still a possible like blocker on signing it. Um, but in general, we think like revisiting the art, no matter who you sign with, like would be a good positive thing, right, but right. doesn't guarantee like us continuing this conversation. Sure. Right. And that that kind of approach helps. That's those soft relationships yeah. as well. That's good. <laughs> All this has been good. Like, yes. it's really revealing yeah. to hear a lot of these things. And a lot of it is common sense, but it's so much of it feels mysterious when you yeah. when you don't hear it. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's, it's difficult because like I, I think that uh, as developers, we oftentimes don't have to interact with the publisher specifically because I mean I'm I'm a game dev uh but like I, my boss is the one who interacts with all of the other people and such so yeah. I don't really do the, any of the interactions I don't know how it works so I'm glad I'm getting some insight into how it works now well when you when you got to pitch vengeance around yeah, right it's come yes. to it right <laughs> one day because you know you know that's gonna follow you <laughs> <laughs> yes it will I am even business that's, yeah that's my job. <laughs> Yeah, I think there's a lot of just general thickness around what publishers do. Yeah. And a lot of it is perpetuated by the industry itself. Like you go to GD, like Game Developers Conference, yeah. and there are like dozens of talks on how to do animation in a game or how to do like this coding thing or even marketing. Yeah. And how many talks are there are more and more like initiatives for helping people understand publishers, but yeah. there are very few like panels on. Like it feels like every year there should be a panel of publishers talking about like what they're looking for that year. Yeah. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. But there isn't. <laughs> that would be uh, valuable we, on everyone's end. Right. Yeah. Sure. Right. But I mean, it would also just be interesting on its own. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We should pitch that for next year. <laughs> well, you know, as more and more publishers rise up and they they get their feet, you know, and they can be more niche and focus more on their smaller, more specific portfolios. Hopefully, that will become like an event like GDC will there'll be more interest in sharing that information because there'll be more players and more, more people to do it. Yeah. yeah. Right. Hopefully we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for being on the show. Yeah. yeah of course. Thank thanks you. so much for such me. a blast. Yeah. yeah. We'll have you back for many more questions. I imagine at some point. <laughs> <laughs> um, so where can people find you on the internet? Uh, well, if you want to hear about uh, ultimate Frisbee and cheese making, you can follow me on Twitter. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yes, please. Which is uh, at August J. Brown. Okay. Uh, and if you want to reach out to me about a game or anything, uh, I'm August at Congregate with AK dot uh, com. Cool. That's our show. If you haven't already, subscribe to Nice Games Club in your favorite podcast app and be sure to give it a good review if you liked it or are nice like us. We really do need to know you're out there. So leave a review and tell all your friends too. August, will you leave a review and tell all your friends too? Every single one of them. Oh. <laughs>
<laughs> Joke's on you guys. <laughs> Dang, we got to sift through all that. <laughs> we should really clarify. Five-star review is preferred. Yeah. <laughs> we also want to hear directly from you. So follow us on Twitter and all the other things at Nice Games Club. And email us at contact at nicegames.club. Lastly, you can find out more about the show and your nice hosts, as well as get all the links and show notes from this and other episodes at nicegames.club. So until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. Hold for sniffles. Yeah, my nose has been acting up the whole time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.